listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Wasn't that good? Give it up for the worship team, but give it up for Jesus. Praise God. That was so good. Um, so yesterday, uh, I did something that I kind of do every once in a while on Saturdays. I go to one of the local coffee shops in Redlands. I, I jump around. I, I love Auggies, and I love also Meek House, and I love Stell. And so yesterday I went to Stell, and I was working on, on this sermon. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do, you know, every sermon needs kind of an introduction, some, something maybe humorous or something maybe relatable. And I was sitting at, at Augie, uh, excuse me, at Stell, trying to think about um, how could I find something from my life uh, where, for example, I promised to do something but failed to come up with that promise. And for some reason, probably a convenient reason, I was having a hard time remembering instances in which I've made promises and, and failed them, promises to God or to someone, uh, and failed them. And so I, I was sitting there, and I, feel like, I felt like I had the rest of the sermon kind of fleshed out, but that intro was missing. Uh, and, and, and God, of course, kind of nudges me, and he's like, why don't you ask your wife Katya? <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> So I sent a text. She's at work. Mind you, she's a, a first-year resident in medical, uh, a, a first-year resident in medicine. And so she's busy. Often, if I text her, it'll take her maybe a few hours. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but on iMessage, for those of you that have iDevices, you can see when a person starts texting, right? You can see when they're writing furiously away. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, can you remember anything that I, uh, you know, said I would do but didn't do? <laughs> And I start seeing the typing furiously. It was like, for some reason, whatever patient was at the hospital or whatever situation, that could wait. You know? And uh, I, immediately I was like, oh, freak, what did I just do? <laughs> you know? Um, and it's funny, but, you know, uh, all husbands are kind of in that boat. Um, and so one that made me laugh and, and that I'll, I'll share with you was uh, one time that she said that on her old Corolla car, which she no longer has, she needed new wipers. And she said, hey, Ricardo, can you take it to the car shop and, and get the wipers changed? And I said, car shop? Like, I can do that. Like, the, changing the wiper blades is, like, the easiest thing on the planet. I'll do it. I'll do it. And, she, and she's like, okay, um, I'll go buy them, and then you do it. And I was like, great, that's awesome. And so she buys them, and she gives them to me. I was like, oh, okay, I can't right now. I'm in the middle of some stuff, but it takes no time. I'll get to it when I'm not busy. A few months go by. <laughs> she keeps reminding me. I'm like, look, it's just so easy. It never rains in California. Calm down. Like, you're not going to need them today. I'm going to change the wiper blades when I get a chance. Well, uh, to this day, the point is I never changed them. She changed them. <laughs> she, she Googled it. She saw a YouTube video, saw that it was easy, easy, and she did it herself. And rightfully so, she still holds that over my head. <laughs> uh, really. And, and all guys will tell you that, it, you know, we, uh, we, we, we kind of pass on 
maybe taking it to get it done somewhere quick or doing it quickly ourselves because we have like this rank in our minds like, oh, this has to be done first. This has to be done first. That can wait. Um, and then sometimes uh, it prevents us from, uh, you know, delivering on our promise. <laughs> um, you know, and, and yeah, I know, I know. And so uh, before all of, all, all of the wives start like going like this, like, hey, you know, you haven't fixed that thing in the kitchen. Uh, let me just say we really want to, and we really mean it. That's the thing is we really mean it when we say we're going to fix. It's just that, you know, stuff happens and we keep this rank of priorities in our head and and uh, we never get to it. And that's our fault, okay? But we really mean to. And that's really important in today's message. <laughs> You know, on a more serious note, I remember uh, a promise that I made, I guess, to God uh, growing up. And, um, and that promise was, God, I'm not going to have premarital sex. Uh, I know your word tells us to, you know, that this, you know, sex is something that I wait to have with my wife, not before uh, with my girlfriend or whatever. And I made that promise. It was a serious promise to myself. And I failed it miserably. You know, I failed it really bad. And and, and for the longest time, I, I, I just, I felt guilty of a failing God. And so, you know, one key question to ask ourselves is, have you ever made a promise to God that you didn't deliver or that you're still waiting to deliver on? And so that brings us into probably one of the best ways to end this sermon series, uh, the relationship between Peter and Jesus. Because Peter promises that he will never deny Jesus, but he does. In an emphatic way. See, the setting of John chapter 21 is kind of like a prologue, if you will, of the gospel of John. Because in John chapter 20, the, that chapter ends with the, 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 the author, John, the apostle, John, telling us that all of the things were written in the book of John so that we would believe in, in believing that we would have life. So it almost seems like an end of the gospel. But then this prologue comes after Jesus has appeared twice to his disciples. And in this prologue, he appears for a third time. And what's funny, you know, I had never noticed before, Peter, though he's very active in the post-resurrection scene of Jesus, Peter doesn't really say a lot. He runs when he finds out that, you know, Jesus is in the tomb. He's, uh, he, he's anxious about it, and, but he, he's kind of quiet, which is fascinating. Um, and I think important to the context of what's happened. See, the, the, again, the setting is Jesus already has appeared to them. He has appeared to Peter in John chapter 20. He has appeared to the disciples. They believe he is risen. They're happy. They're celebrating. But now in John chapter 21, he appears to them a third time and serves them breakfast. So, Chapter 21 is especially important in understanding that context because I, I think we get a clearer glimpse of what the gospel is all about, what believing in Jesus is. See, Peter, as we just said, promised Jesus he would never deny him, but he denied Jesus three times. So now he appears to not the whole group. It's almost a more intimate setting in John chapter 21, seven disciples of which three are kind of like this, this mighty trio of, of apostles, which are uh, Peter, James, and John. Th those were kind of, think about it, when, when Jesus was transfigured, if you've read the Gospels, those were the three that were with Jesus. So there were seven disciples, but among those seven, those three were there. 
So let's go ahead and knowing all of that, knowing that Peter probably still feels guilty of having denied Jesus, hasn't really interacted that personally, I mean, at least from the gospel. I can't say that for sure. But it seems like he hasn't interacted one-on-one with Jesus other than the appearance in a group. So in this more intimate setting, knowing this, knowing that Peter denied Jesus three times after Peter said he never would. Let's jump in to the last chapter of John. We're just going to read verses 15 through 19. That's going to be our verses for the day. We'll see some other things, but those are the main verses. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Jesus is serving them breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. That's Jesus speaking to Peter. He said to him, Jesus, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Jesus again, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after, saying this, uh, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, one important thing that we want to do is understand this interaction, what it is that Jesus means, in particular with, with the first question. I, I want to clarify something, something that uh, a lot of people have talked about in the past, theologians and, and, and commentaries. Uh, there tends to be, in the past at least, a lot of co- uh, commentaries by theologians that focus on the fact that in the Greek, Jesus uh, uses different uh, words uh, for love. And so maybe phileo, maybe agape. And what, what I basically can share, though I'm not a theologian myself, is that modern day theologians, even the most conservative ones, I'm talking about hardcore conservative theologians, for the most part, agree that we can't actually say that Jesus intended anything with the switch of those words, love. The whole agape thing, though it's powerful in other parts of Scripture, most theologians today, even the most conservative ones, agree that we can't really say for certain if something was meant with that, especially because John uses the two interchangeably to mean love. And that's why this translation, the ESV, has just the word love with it. So I'm not going to dive in into the maybe the possibilities of what the different Greek words could have been meant. We're not going to go into that because, again, most conservative theologians agree that probably nothing was meant. And they were used interchangeably. But I think there's something very important here, especially in the first question that Jesus asked. The first question. The first question to Peter is meant to show us that despite our most sincere efforts, we still sin. See, the question that Peter is, at, that Peter is asked at that moment is almost a reminder 
of where Peter's hope was. Peter's hope was in his conviction, his ability to be faithful, his you know, determination, the fact that he said, I will never deny you. I Basically, Peter was saying, I kind of love you more than, than these. Notice Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You have to realize this does not mean or Jesus, rather, does not mean, do you love me more than you love them? That's not what Jesus means there. Jesus means, do you still think you are the superior, ultimate disciple that loves Jesus more than anyone else? Let me repeat that again, because that's exactly what Jesus means there. Do you still think you are the superior, awesome, super disciple that loves Jesus more than anyone else? that will withstand the trial and be there faithful forever always. Do you still think that? Peter had made sure to tell Jesus he was the superior disciple, the one that would never fail. When Peter was told that he would deny, that was his reply before the denial itself. When you look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 33 through 34, Peter answers to him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Have you ever made a promise to God you didn't keep? See, the gospel is for that. Even for the things that you think that in your own willpower, you are capable of delivering to God. As disciples of Jesus, we sometimes have to remind ourselves that in our own strength, in our own conviction, we still give in. We deny Jesus. Whether it's in, in the way that Peter did, like, yeah, I'm not really a Christian. Or whether it's in my actions daily, what I choose to do and what I choose to not do. We all have denied Jesus in some way, shape, or another every day. Because we sin every day. We're not super disciples. And thank God that the gospel is not for super disciples. That's the point of that first question. Jesus is saying, Peter, you've thought that you're always the best disciple and that my relationship with you depends on your superior discipleship. But it doesn't. My relationship with you is free, graceful. It's grace-filled. And I died on the cross to secure that. So that you don't have to be a superior disciple. I've lived the life of a superior God follower for you. That's what's so important about that first question. See, even for mature Christians, especially Christians that are seasoned, that have been Christians for years, we sometimes fall victim to this mentality that we are awesome, pat yourself in the back disciples. All of us. We look at our daily walk and say in our inner voice, right, deep within, Look, I'm praying every day. Oh, I'm following my Bible reading plan on my app. Uh, I'm helping those in need. Oh, I, I gave someone some money. And so even in our goodness and even in our obedience to God, sometimes we, we make it about ourselves. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. My walk with God is good. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> we might not say awesome in our inner voice, but we feel good about ourselves instead of pointing to the one that actually accomplished it. We all have this mentality. When Jesus shares the story of the tax collector versus the Pharisee, the tax collector is praying and saying, 
uh, you know, basically he won't even lift his eyes up to the sky because he's a sinner. But the Pharisee is looking at all his awesome accomplishments. That he's a godly man. And Jesus says the one that goes home justified is the tax collector. Because he doesn't celebrate his superior discipleship. He doesn't celebrate the fact that he's awesome. He always humbles himself, the tax collector that is, and sees his sin. And uses it as an opportunity to pray for forgiveness and to say, God, you are almighty. You are worthy, not me. We should glorify God through our daily recognition of our sins, not our recognition of our greatness as disciples. Let's not be like former Peter that celebrates this awesome discipleship that he has, that he will never be the one to deny him, but instead let's recognize, wow, if it isn't for God, I I will deny him. If it isn't for his salvation and his security, I would be lost. Our daily recognition should be of our sins, and that's a cause for celebration because Jesus died for those sins. Our daily glorification should be to him, not to us. That's why it's so important to end this gospel this way because Peter realizes all along, I'm not here because I earned being in this group. Jesus selected me. He loved me first. Because he loved me first, I love him. I remember when I, when I used to go to Mass uh, as a Catholic, um, I don't know how it would go in, in, in English, but in Spanish, we would, there was this point at the beginning of Mass, towards the beginning, where we would pray over our daily sins, and we would say that we had sinned in pensamiento, palabra, obra, y omisión. What did that mean? It means that we would sin in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, and in our omissions. We sin in so many little different ways. We're not super disciples. We even sin in the things we don't do when we ought to do them. We sin in our thoughts, in our feelings. We we, we sin by letting certain thoughts and feelings take sway of us when we know God tells us to not let our feelings dictate who we are, but to let him dictate who we are. But that's the goodness about the gospel. Point number two, our failures are forgiven through Jesus, and our faith is protected by Jesus. Peter did deny him, but Peter didn't ultimately deny him. And that wasn't because Peter was a super disciple. It was because of Jesus. Our failures are forgiven through Jesus, and our faith is protected by Jesus. The gospel is so good that Jeremiah and Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah, says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. He remembers your sin no more. It's not that God has amnesia. It's just now it's something paid for. You know, when, when you owe a debt, uh, a, a money debt, to, to maybe it's a hospital bill or whatever, they send you the reminders, this is how much you owe. They remember. Now, when you pay it off, it's still on record that you owed that money, but they don't send you the reminder anymore. They don't remember to send you that reminder anymore. It's done. It's paid for. They remember to send you that reminder no more. And that's the case with our sins. It's not that our sins never existed. It's that they were paid for by Jesus. 
That's the goodness of the gospel. Even for our failures. So our, forga- our, our failures to Jesus and to God, those are forgiven. But our faith, more importantly, is protected by Jesus. I want you to notice, Jesus had fellowship with Peter before they had this conversation. Jesus wasn't like, I told you, I told you. Man, you failed me, Peter. No, you know what Jesus did? He served him breakfast. He served him breakfast. The, 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 the Messiah becoming the servant, the one that washed the disciples' feet, he serves them breakfast. See, his sin was covered. Jesus didn't need to go through a whole process to restore Peter. His sin was covered. He was forgiven. Jesus didn't shun him out. Rather, you know what Peter did? Because maybe in the spirit part of him knew this. When Peter recognizes in this third appearance in John 21 that that's Jesus, he jumps from the boat that he's in into the water. In fact, the gospel says he threw himself into the sea. He's reckless. Just, that's Jesus. I'm going over there. And mind you, he still feels guilty about what he did. But he knows Jesus is there loving him in relationship with him because it's done. It's covered. Jesus served Peter breakfast. So Peter's sin didn't need to be atoned for at that moment. It was already atoned for. <laughs> it was done. Understand that our faith is protected by Jesus. I, I don't, you know, there, there are different theological camps. I don't, I don't like getting into different theological camps. I like sticking to the ones that every Christian can agree on. Whether we get to him by his election or whether we choose it ourselves, here's what matters. Once you select Jesus, you can't out-select Jesus. Once you've truly selected him, you can't out-select him. You can't decide to not follow him. Here's why. Your faith in Jesus is protected by Jesus, not by you. Your following of Jesus doesn't depend on, well, what if tomorrow I decide to, you know, deny him? No, your faith is secured by Jesus. It's protected by him. I want you to look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter about the denial, okay? This is before the denial happens. Again, prophetically, Jesus talking about his denial in Luke 22. In Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, Peter is telling, uh, Jesus is telling Peter what's going to happen. And he talks to him about how he will fall away. But he tells him, don't worry, I got your faith covered. I want you to read this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's when Peter says, of course, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Again, being the super disciple, relying on his conviction But Jesus is telling him, I prayed for your faith to not fail ultimately. Though you will deny me, and Satan has asked for you, and I'm allowing him to play a little bit, I will secure your faith because I've prayed that your faith will ultimately not fail. If you are a true believer, your faith is secure in the fact that Jesus prayed for you. In John 17, we saw a few weeks ago, 
Jesus prays for the church. That they would not, that the disciples would not be lost. In John chapter 10, he says, the disciples, the sheep, they're in my hand and no one can snatch them out of the, hand, the Father's hand. Once you're there, you're secure. If you're truly there, your faith is protected by Jesus' own guarantee. I have prayed, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. If we have truly committed to Jesus, we will never ultimately fall away and never come back from our saving faith because Jesus prayed that we won't fall away. Point number three, and the most important one, especially when we look at who Peter is and what he did, our past does not disqualify us from serving and leading in our present. On the contrary, God, listen, God builds his glory out of the rubble of your failures. Some of you, like myself, need to hear this. God builds his glory out of the pieces, the ashes, the, the rubble of your past failures. He doesn't hide them. He builds his glory. He displays how amazing he is through your past mistakes and who you are now. That is the God we serve. The whole point of these three questions is to restore Peter to his leadership, to remind him, look, you're still the one I selected to be the rock upon which I will build this church. You're still that person. Because of what I've done for you, you're still that. And in fact, I allowed Satan to have his way for you, with you temporarily because I'm going to build on that. Satan wants to use it for bad, but I'm going to use it for good. Your past mistakes in God, they become works of art. Have you ever seen those artists that take trash and make something beautiful out of it? Like modern contemporary art. They take pieces of, of trash or unrecycled material and they make this glorious work of art. Imagine God doing that. Imagine to the supernatural, glorious, infinite level that he could do that. He takes trash and makes it glorious. That's what God does. You know, when Jesus told Peter, your faith won't fail because I prayed for you, he also tells him, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I'm going to use you to strengthen your brothers, though you turned. He didn't just stop there and say, yeah, you won't. You won't ultimately fail. Your faith will be secured. I prayed for it. No, then turn, strengthen your brothers, build your church, be the leader that you were called to be. Don't hide your mistakes. That's the good part. It's how those were redeemed and how I build on that. How I'm exalted, how God is exalted in spite of those mistakes because he redeemed them. In Galatians 1, 22 through 24, we see precisely Paul talking about this. This crazy juxtaposition that while we were sinners, who we are now, in spite of who we were, God uses that. He doesn't use perfect, superior disciples. He doesn't use super disciples. He uses people with a broken past. Killers. Adulterers. That's what God uses to build his glory. That's the God we serve. In Galatians 1.22, Paul tells us, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it 
He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You see, they glorified God because of who he was and who he is now in Jesus. Because he takes the trash and makes it glorious. He's not the only one, right? Peter the same. Paul again in 1 Timothy reminds us of this. There's a reason Paul used to kill and supervise the killing of Christians and persecute them. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is one of my favorite passages. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. Meaning, I'm the worst sinner, because I killed the church. I killed people in the church. I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. For this reason, that in me as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. He builds his glory on your rubble, on your ashes. Are you caught in the past of, the, of who you were sinfully? God isn't. God isn't. I mean, think about today. People, politicians, governments, they hide their past. Like, it, we all do. Jesus does the unthinkable. He takes the shattered remains of your failures and builds a glorious story that points climactically to him, not to you. <laughs> so good. In social media, people rarely post their failures, their low points, or their bad selfies. <laughs> God takes... Posts that would be on social media, failures, low points, and bad selfies, and he creates this glorious post that's all about him. <laughs> like, he uses it. It's amazing how he does that. So, you know, as, as, the, as the worship team starts to make it, its way back up, I want to ask you, because I've been there before, what past sins are haunting you? Maybe what current sins are haunting you? Adultery? Stealing money? Have you stole money? Have you stole possessions? Were you a bad parent at some point? Neglectful parent? A bad child that disobeyed your parents who didn't appreciate them? Are you a bad spouse? Did you deny Jesus at some point? Did you, like at some point I did, follow your will instead of his? Did you hold on to resentment, anger, or hate? Did you at some point live a life where alcohol had become your comfort and not God? Let God build his glory out of those remains. If you are a life-committed follower of Christ, God has moved on. You should too. If you are a life-committed follower of Christ, God has moved on. You should too. Let God build his glory out of the rubble of your past sins because God remembers your sins no more. The debt is paid. Matthew 16, 18. Before Peter even knew he was going to deny Jesus, Jesus told Peter who he was going to be. And Jesus knew Peter would betray him. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it that's what he did out of peter 
the guy that denied him three times. What can he do with our rubble? It says there, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You, you almost can get the wrong imagery out of that. The gates of hell basically will not be able to withstand the barrage of heaven. Because <laughs> it's the gates of hell. They won't be able to prevail how heaven overtakes it and destroys. His grace is amazing. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He uses your redeemed past to build his glory. He uses your redeemed past to build his glory. Let's pray. Father, if we are haunted by past sins, remind us that they don't define us, but rather that you build your glory on that. That we're not super disciples, we're flawed people. And that our faith is secured by you, by your prayer. Help us to be like Peter, who eventually, at the end of that of those verses in John that we read, Jesus tells us he did die for Jesus. He glorified Jesus. His hands were stretched out, it says. His past didn't define Peter. May we not hide trembling away from serving and leading and doing great things from the kingdom of God just because we're ashamed of our past. Use our past. Build glorious commemorations of who you are, Father. Help us to harness those mistakes and to put your glory on display. As the ushers come forth for the tithes and offerings, Father, I pray that you would use the tithes and offerings as you will, not as we want. We don't tithe out of a religious commitment. We tithe, we tithe and we give offerings or we, we share whatever it is that our God puts in our heart because we worship you. It's an exercise of freedom, of saying we don't trust in ourselves, we trust in you. So may God use that exercise of worship, of giving, to bless our endeavor here in this community to reach those that don't know you in Redlands, in Tijuana, Mexico, and beyond through the Shayas in their ministry in Spain. May we bring glory to you and may, it, it, may many people come to know you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.